Under the Influence of Much Wine. This is the Rabbi Patrick Podcast, episode 2.5. Merry Christmas, Jews and Catholics. I am just over the moon excited about this episode 2.5. So why 2.5? I promised everyone online that I was going to do a series about converting to Judaism. That's because Google told me that's what you want to hear about. So I promise I'm going to do that, but I needed to uh, sort of interrupt the flow of things, which is funny because like, I've only done two episodes, but I wanted to interrupt the flow of things because... My friend Meredith is over. Uh, This is, uh, by the way, being recorded live uh, in our kitchen. And with us uh, in the studio audience is Stephanie, uh, who is my wife. Hello. And uh, and we are all drinking very much wine, including um, Habersham Southern Harvest Peach Treat, which is sort of like Boots Farm for adults. Let's just put that one out there. Uh, it's it's the taste of seventeen. Um, so they're a proud sponsor, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure they're going to be thrilled. Uh, it's local. It's local. We're only drinking local. So anyway, um, but. Uh, So this is episode 2.5, which is Merry Christmas, Jews and Catholics, uh, because Meredith and I were talking about, uh, we we frequently talk about, you know, uh, the role that religion plays in our lives. We've known each other for a long time, and as soon as uh, I announced that I had a podcast and was asking if people wanted to get involved, come on the show and talk a little bit, Meredith was like, I'm down, let's do it. So, Meredith. Hi, Patrick. It's so nice that you're here sitting at our dining table, which you do frequently, actually. I do. Shabbat dinner regularly. Can I just say that for anyone who is listening to this right now who is a regular at the Stephanie and Patrick Shabbat dinners, Meredith is your competition. We 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 have a very select list. It's like Studio Fifty Four. There is a red velvet rope out in front of the door, and uh, and Meredith gets uh, the all access pass. Um, the rest of you, it's, it's questionable week to week what it's going to look like. So just putting that one out there. So what you're saying is I'm your token. You are the token. Oh, gotcha. You are okay. the token. But, <laughs> but uh, anyway, so we've been talking a lot about that kind of stuff. And so we wanted to do a podcast together, and we couldn't really come up with what it was going to be, so we talked, and I came up with this idea of asking ridiculous, embarrassing, perhaps inappropriate questions. So although this episode and all episodes are considered um, family-friendly, they're non-explicit, um, Subject matter, we'll see what happens here. I promise no dirty words, but uh, the following podcast contains adult content. I'm just going to say that now. It it probably doesn't. (laughs) It probably doesn't, but we'll go on ahead and just put that one out there. So, Meredith, how long have we known each other? Oh my gosh. Uh, Like, at least since I was 21. So, I'm just not supposed to give my age, but it's been... A while. Oh yeah, like over a decade. Did you think... I'm just thinking back to, like, things that we did, like, when we first met each other. Did you think that when we were hanging out at Taco Bell in Marietta, and and you could eat there because you were a vegan, you were a vegan at the time, did you think that when you were eating the uh, 89-cent bur- burrito, bean burrito, no cheese, no sour cream, no sour cream that one day you were going to be 
10 however many years later sitting at a dining table and talking about religion with this same individual who is now a religious leader. How the heck did that happen? Uh, definitely not, but I think that probably the same could be said about you. Did you anticipate such a conversation? Absolutely not. All right, high five. Absolutely. Did you anticipate a dining room table? No. <laughs> I didn't anticipate much in my young life. Did you anticipate 30? No. No. I anticipated 30, but I figured 30 was going to be like, uh, you know. Still on tour. Still on tour. Still still playing uh, head on the door. I mean, that's truly what I meant by anticipating 30 is did you expect to be... You know, a homeowner and yeah. bills and stuff, because I didn't. No, like, I, I seriously, I told um, a, a very good friend of mine, um, actually, so anyone who want to look this guy up, Justin Kerfman, Feeding Fingers, if you watch some of the early Punctura videos, you'll see um, that I lived with him and we had some fun. But in any case, um, I told him years ago, I was like, if I could just make $40,000 a year, I would be the wealthiest man on the planet because that would pay for my health insurance, uh, gas in my car, and and food to eat, and the 500 bucks a month that I paid to live in his house. Mm-hmm. And that was all I needed in life. And uh, now I'm like, Psh, Netflix, <laughs> pour over coffee. Like, you know, oh my the gosh. struggle is real. If I can't get to the farmer's market we before 9 o'clock, it's true. I mean, fortunately, we're still drinking Habersham. I wine. mean, just to remind you that is local organic wine so like before we bones farm it like, I didn't buy or bring you terrible wine that's absolutely it true seriously very tasty though I do appreciate it so we both kind of came at this religion thing in two different ways I think so for you I mean let's let's go from like we're at head on the door in Montgomery Alabama okay, start there. we'll start there and then like how did you get to be where you are now as far as Catholicism is concerned? I mean, spiritually, I was born into this. So I got in the baby way. I'm a cradle Catholic. <laughs> <laughs> True story. Um, and that is the easiest way to get into my religion. It's just be born into it. Um, so my parents did me the favor of making sure that I was christened, and then they handed me over to nannies in other countries who are incredibly Catholic, Um, specifically the Philippines is really where most of my formation came from. And so I've kind of been able to make it a little more liberal. Nice. A little more liberal, but yeah, I've, I've always been Catholic. I just, you know, I just go and, and repent a lot and give a bunch of confessions and say, I'm sorry for the fun stuff I do in life. So was it a ramping up? to sort of the Opus Day Catholic level that you're at right now? Or, or or was it sort of like, was there a defining moment where you were like, I'm going to start, you know, getting, getting real on this? No, if I'm being honest, at 16, I made the decision that, like, if I end up in a situation where I'm, like, heading towards prison, I'm just going to be a nun. <laughs> so... so. I mean, like, it, it really and truly, it does boil down to that, that this is a part of who I am, and it's who I've always been. I've just been fortunate enough to never head towards prison, but I've still always considered becoming a nun. So I've always been pretty religious. I just don't always behave that way. Where are you in terms of the nun decision as I, of this moment? I mean, well, the nun decision at the moment has to be on hold because I have a daughter. I considered joining a third order, which is a secular order of nuns where you're not a part of a community. So it means that I would be able to live in the real world um, and I would be able to raise my daughter, but it would also 
really um, mean that I dedicated almost 100% of my time that outside of her to charity work, and I still love my job, and so that's not God's calling for me at the moment. Can I just say that Third Order sounds like an industrial band? Oh, totally. I totally <laughs> sound like, you know... No, I sound very militant in that. <laughs> no, it's nothing like that, you know. Um, but it is it is a cool option available to Catholic women, you know, who want to be able to be a nun and really be a part of a you know religious order without having to give everything up in the rest of the world. Um, on that note, though, nuns still can drink and have a good time to some extent certain kinds of fun certain kinds of fun i mean they'll like scold you if you go too far so basically you can have you know a glass of scotch that's it i have a good nun, <laughs> i have a good nun story for you. Oh, you do? i don't know if i ever told you this so my parents used to own a hotel when i was a teenager and it was in a community that was very heavily catholic and um so this order had their um, I don't even know what it's called, conference, convention, uh, whatever the case may be. And they were all getting together to discuss all of the charitable work they do. They did a lot of education stuff. So they decided to have this retreat at the hotel that my parents ran. And so they booked the hotel for two nights, uh, solid. So no other people were in there, whatever. And these were some of the bodiest, craziest women. At one point, they were doing announcements. It was, it was the first evening, and they were doing announcements, and there was a guy that was going to stay the night who was like a maintenance man just in case there were problems whatever and uh, uh, so this this nun is giving these announcements about breakfast is at this time and we're going to have worship at this time and then uh, they said and the maintenance man so and so is going to be uh, uh, is going to be uh, here and he's going to be you know uh, part of this uh, we're really grateful that the hotel is uh, allowing him to take care of us all <laughs> night long and there was just just an eruption of laughter and I'm like sitting back there and I'm like I just heard a nun tell a sex joke in front and I'm like 17 and like totally bizarred out by this but like I I never like experienced sort of any of that and until I, I met those women and I was so overwhelmed by like how real life was mm-hmm. for them oh yeah I mean, being a nun, I of course, I can't really speak to it 100% because I'm not a nun, mm-hmm. but I know a lot of nuns that, like, you know, they use a bunch of cuss words, and they'll smoke a cigar, and they'll, you know, drink, but they have these limits where most of their life is dedicated to charitable acts. It's not necessarily about, you know, oh, you can't have a good time or be a human being. Right. Which is really the crux of the religion is that... I, I laugh every time I hear someone say I'm a recovering Catholic because I'm like, um, that's the entire point of the religion. We are all recovering. So we get to have a good time and recover from our hangovers. So this, so we're going to do these five questions in a bit, uh, but I'm going to cheat and ask you a question. Should nuns run the show? <laughs> I mean, as a woman, yeah. I and I mean, nobody on your podcast can see it, but I have almost nothing but women 
who are major parts of my religion, tattooed on my arm. I have a sleeve of female saints. I'm going to put this up somehow, because I, I still haven't quite figured out the whole podcast thing, because I'm doing it super lo-fi, and so far no one's complained about like the quality of the audio and the fact that it's not on a website and whatever, but uh, I'll find some way to like include the the visuals because I think I think I think the fact <laughs> that like we're, we're the fact that we're sitting here and like you have it was it Mary and you have mm-hmm. and then I have Saint Barbara I mean Pope Sixth made it on there only because he was already a part of the Sistine painting that's okay. the only reason he got on there okay um and then I have Saint Catherine of Alexandria and I have Mary Magdalene okay but they're my two prominent and or three prominent I mean really Everything is focused on women. Right. Yeah, and and here I am and I got a bunch of tattoos, which I want to bring oh, this I, I want to bring this up because you said on Facebook that you were going to talk about making fun of my tattoos. Oh no, so, I didn't say So bring it. Bring the pain. Okay, so first of all, the first thing that I really wanted to know from you is I remember the day you got that tattoo. And Please don't hate me if I say it wrong, but it's Yahweh. Is that correct? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I remember standing in Lenny's bar and you <laughs> up your, it's gone. So nobody in your podcast can I actually it. wrote an article about whether or not you could say Kaddish, which is a, a mourner's prayer when a bar closes. And it was about Lenny's when they bulldozed. <gasps> oh, brilliant. And that's, what was the answer? Uh, well, I mean, I gave my own answer. I said yes. Of course. I like your that's answer. why I'm the chair. You're a rabbi. You can write your I, I don't know if I was at the time. I'll have to think about that. Anyway, so yeah, so Lenny's. Yeah, okay, so. so I remember you showing me that tattoo. And that was the first time I'd ever heard you like tell me that you were Jewish. We'll start with that. So that was news to me. That was also the first time I ever heard you go, oh, yeah, no, I'm totally pursuing this uh, musician career. (laughs) Hold on. So we're Jewish and a musician today. Okay. But it was really (laughs) impressive that you were dedicated enough to put that on your arm. And I remember thinking at the time and turning to our friend Eric um, and saying, "Do do you think he's for real on this one? And he was like, uh, I, I don't know. <laughs> you know, like neither of us were able to really wrap our brains around it, but you were clearly dedicated to it. You were clearly on the start of a major journey, but I did wonder at the time, how did you reconcile getting tattooed with the rules of Judaism, which I'm sure is something you're asked constantly, but I've never heard the answer. Ah, so, so is this, is this one of your questions? It is one of the questions. Okay. Well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do a quick, so I just want to say, okay, I said in the last episode, we didn't have sponsors and this was whatever. So, okay. I kind of lied, I guess. In retrospect, I lied because, uh, Modern Tribe was kind enough to sponsor the podcast so i have to give a shout out to uh modern tribe and here's the thing about this podcast and i said it before uh before we started this is totally live i don't edit any of this um you know so literally i'm not kidding when i say this is us at our dining table there's there's no whatever so i've been listening to these podcasts and the way you're supposed to do it is you're supposed to do the sponsorships in the beginning you're supposed to pre-record them and then you sort of cut and paste whatever i don't have that capability nor do i want to so anyway here's the sponsorship so 
I'm reading this off my iPhone. This podcast is sponsored by ModernTribe.com, a new kind of online Jewish gift shop and Judaica store for people with innovative minds, spirits, and style. Now, I have a long history with this company. Uh, founder Jenny Rivlin Roberts is a friend of mine uh, and gave me my first job in the internet world, and I'm eternally grateful for that. So, Modern Tribe brings modern design to Jewish lives, inventing newish, new Jewish things, uh, including No Limit Texas Dreidel, a new dreidel game that crosses dreidel with Texas Hold'em Poker. It's a lot of fun. It's great at parties, believe me. So, if you are having to go to a Christmas party right now, Hanukkah may be over. If you have to go to a Christmas party, you could bring uh, No Limit Texas Dreidel with you and you would have your own sort of Zionist zeal because you would take over someone's coffee table with it or something like that. I don't know. Anyway, um, but Modern Tribe isn't just for Jews. They have lots of fun gifts and home accessories that can uh, uh, that any design-conscious person will love. In fact, I buy a lot of my Christmas presents for my non-Jewish family and friends uh, from their Hanukkah store, especially jewelry. So to save 10% off your first purchase, first is the key, guys, save 10% off your first purchase, visit Modern ModernTribe.com and use the coupon code SPIRITUAL at checkout. That's S-P-I-R-I-T-U-A-L. Okay, let's do some questions. Do you have yours written? I wrote mine down while we were talking about politics and other stuff, so I don't I don't know what you have going on. And oh, Stephanie, yeah. you can ask questions too if you'd like. And we can have audience participation if needed. Oh, okay. So, yeah, if you want to... Just don't hit your hand against the table. That's all I... <laughs> because, like, when, when we're podcasting and someone hits their hand against the table, then it just sounds like... Blah, 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 on, the, um, on the little app thing. So, um, in any case, so... I'm eating leftover gout. Yes, she is. Yeah, you are. Is that, that the bittersweet? Yep, it's the good stuff. That's the good one. That's the really good one. Um, okay, you wanted me to go first, right, Meredith? I mean, yeah, sure, either way. Okay, I mean, you kind of started with a question. Yeah, that's so what I, I was like, Wait, Do you want to lead it? Okay, so, so the question was specifically... How did you reconcile your first tattoos with your journey into Judaism? Okay, so the primary thing is I had no idea what I was doing. Um, and if you look at very early Punctora videos, that is absolutely the truth. I had no idea how any of this worked. But like anything else with me, I kind of jumped head in. Um, and I mean, the same was true with music. I can't sing. You listen to any of those, like, listen to any of the stuff I ever put out. Like, it kind of, you know, it sounds like uh, Richard Hell and uh, and uh, John Doe from X, like, <laughs> had a really horrible child and then, you know, and then, like, sent him to yodeling class with Jello Biafra. I mean, that's about, that's the, that's about the best I got. That's um, the cherry on top, Jello Biafra. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, so. I would beg to differ on that, though, because I want to tell you that the very first time I went to your show, I did not expect much, and I was shocked at how good you were. <laughs> well, thank you. I mean, I had such low expectations. Yeah, I had such low expectations for this little weird nerd I knew from, from the suburbs of Atlanta. But when you start out with, oh, I'm in a band now, please come see my show. Oh, by the way, look, I got this Jewish tattoo. I was like, I don't know what kind of, like, journey this guy's on. <laughs> It's going to be interesting. But it both turned out to be really, really good. And oh, yeah. I was thoroughly impressed on both, both accounts. Both accounts. So. Well, so, yeah. So, I mean, I kind of jumped into it. And then I, I, 
I approached Judaism the way that I think, and I still do to a certain degree, I approach Judaism the way that I think some people approach Wicca, Buddhism, Taoism, uh, these other sort of really, frankly, non-Abrahamic religions. And it's something that has always frustrated me, that if you go to sort of the religion section of a bookstore, what few bookstores are even left, or especially if you go to kind of like crazy hippie jewelry, crystals and potions type places, you know, you can read, um, you know, a bunch of stuff by the Dalai Lama. You can read, you know, how to cast spells that will make your cubicle more fun. Or, like, what, you know, like, all, you know, you can buy pentagrams on pentagrams and Ganesha and all of that. So you can buy that stuff. But there is a wealth of Jewish spirituality that I think, regardless of what religion you belong to or choose to reject, there is a certain kind of peace and, um, enlightenment that can be attained from reading some of that and studying some of that, however you choose to use it or not use it. And so I approached Judaism that way. Okay. Um, and so things like having the tattoos, being in a band, whatever, I didn't take that as being contradictory in any way. Now, there's plenty of people, I'm probably going to have to do a podcast at some point, because it's the the... Next to conversion, it's probably the second most popular thing people ask me about is the tattoos. Mm -hmm. um, that's, that's a whole other thing. But honestly, I, I think I got my first tattoo, which was yud Hey vav Hey, so it's God's name, um, the same way that like some people get Om or a uh, lotus uh, blossom or other things. That was just my particular thing. Um, so that's how it worked for me in the beginning. And frankly, I don't know how to go about doing this, but I'd love to be part of some kind of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, I don't want to say movement cause that sounds really weird and authoritarian, but like some, some part of, of, um, uh, energy that brings in elements of Judaism into the world of the spiritual but not religious. The only person I think who's ever pulled it off really well is um, uh, the gentleman who wrote When Bad Things Happen to Good People. Okay. Um, whose name I now can't remember because I'm on glass Kushner. number two of, yeah, Harold Kushner. Harold Kushner. Yeah, I couldn't remember. Well, there's Lawrence Kushner well, right, too. There's, and two. there's Irwin Kushner who. Was it Irwin Kushner who did Star Wars or Irving Kushner? Irving. Irving, yes. Um, so there's there's a few Kushners out there. Just want to make sure I had the right one. Um, so he's the only person, I think, who's ever pulled it off successfully. Because there's plenty of non-Jews who have read When Bad Things Happen to Good People. But that's it. I mean, you're talking about one book out of thousands and thousands and thousands of books. Um, so I don't know how to be part of that. Uh, I don't want to be the leader of that, but that's something I'd like to see happen because I think there are a lot of people who don't necessarily need or want to convert to Judaism but could gain something from it. I guess the Kabbalah Center is probably the second the second one that's done that uh, in a certain kind of way. So, oh. yeah. That actually led to one of my questions. Really? Yes, it did, about Kabbalah specifically. Um, can I ask you a question? Absolutely. And then we'll do the Kabbalah oh, yeah. question? Absolutely, please. Okay, so um, do you ever feel like you have to defend the fact that you are um, a Catholic to people who are non-religious and would assume 
that you should have a beef with religion, that you should be sort of part of not only atheism, but anti-theism. You know, we've talked a lot about science. Mm -hmm. You were talking earlier about Neil deGrasse Tyson (laughs) trying to do, like, hood talk, and it was awesome, apparently. Um, UV degradable, yes. So do do you find yourself in that world, and do you feel like you're being pushed against in any way? All the time. All the time. What's that like? I mean, I'm a part of the science community in kind of an obscure way, but I am frequently present with people who are, you know, really notable scientists or physicists. And a good example of that is when I went to see my favorite physicist that is currently alive, um, Neil deGrasse Tyson, last year for my birthday, a man that sat next to me was horrified when I took my sweater off. And threw a fit asking for somebody to switch seats with him. Because he was so offended that somebody who had religious tattoos, Catholic tattoos, Christian tattoos, would be present at such a science-based event. But a vast majority of that is the fact that people don't really understand that science and religion have a lot in common. And especially science in the Vatican. So I'm able to connect back to people who are scientists and still religious. I don't find them mutually exclusive. So I try to be very patient, and to be honest, the people who rail against me the hardest are the ones that I enjoy being around the most. (laughs) Why is that? Uh, Because most of the time they're incredibly intelligent. I mean, I know that sounds kind of odd to say, but a lot of them have really put a lot of thought and time into their viewpoints. So just because it's different from mine, and I do have to defend my position, I don't feel offended in my defense. Mm. So, okay, so a couple of quick sort of smaller questions within that. So first, have you ever listened to Science Mike? Ask Science Mike. I have not. So check this dude out. So he's part of the sort of... um, Everyone knows that I'm a Rob Bell fanboy and that it's like painful. <laughs> Matter of fact, I had a friend of mine ask me what podcast I listened to, and I said, I listened to Rob Bell's podcast, and she said, Really? I said, Yeah, I listen to it on Monday mornings when it comes out. She said, You're a better Christian than I am. <laughs> and she's a pastor, by the way. So uh, but Science Mike <laughs> Science Mike is part of this. So he was uh, I guess I'm gonna say this where he was a Baptist um Deacon, I think, was his role. He taught Sunday school, um, but he also uh, was a science teacher. He then became an atheist, and he was a closet atheist within the Baptist church. And then uh, after that came out of that, it is now sort of part of the sort of um, emergent church, Jesus-leaning, progressive Christian, whatever the term is, sort of world. And it's like him and a bunch of other people that all sort of surround Rob Bell. But I found him because Rob Bell did an, uh, an interview with him. And I was like, this Science Mike guy is awesome. So, like, he does episodes on evolution he did a thing about pornography like i mean crazy some of it's really out there and then a lot of stuff about physics the heat death of the universe you know like really challenging stuff so i highly recommend science mike ask science mike i'm all for that but just kind of as a footnote to all this the reason that I can reconcile most of this, and I love the fact that there's other people out there doing it, is the Big Bang Theory was actually created by a Vatican scientist, by a priest, George Lamatra. So I want to put it out there. There was a Belgian priest that actually came up with the concept of the Big Bang Theory. 
So anytime anybody gets on me about, oh, how can you be religious and into science, I pulled that one out. That's a good one. The other one I was going to ask you is, um, and it's related to Big Bang Theory, is uh, the idea of the prime mover. So the idea that like the there must be a god because there has to be a beginning of some kind. Does that for some reason I'm really into that? <laughs> is there any does that resonate with you at all or am I totally off base? No, I mean you're not totally off base, but my concept of of life, the universe and everything basically revolves around the concept that yeah, something had to be a catalyst whether it is a being or, you know, plasma. I don't really know what the original catalyst to life and the universe expansion is going to be. There's a lot of different theories to it. But yeah, I stand behind in my own mind and my own belief. Yeah, most likely I'm just a puppet in the life of, you know, some omnipotent being that controls my existence. <laughs> so that's the most unscientific answer that I've ever given about a science-based question. So I'm so sorry. That's okay. Any word from the studio audience? No. Okay, cool. We'll move on. <laughs> I drink too much. <laughs> nice. Yet the guest is on. I thought, yes. <laughs> the entire studio audience is leaving. I'm not sure what's going on. Or she's opening the fridge. So there you go. Okay, cool. Um, all right. Awesome. So uh, is it your turn, I guess? Oh, I guess it is my turn. Yeah. Okay, so my question specifically about Cabal, I'm just going to turn it back to that. Yeah, turn it back to that. Um, so is it... I don't know if you've ever thought about Madonna and how Madonna got really on the Kabbalah train. Sure. Okay, so she's my favorite Kabbalah recruiter because she... By the way, do you need a little more hyper shape? Uh, Always. Okay, so so Madonna, yes. So Madonna recruited Britney Spears. Uh Uh-huh. So I got to thinking about this on two levels. One, is it okay for somebody to recruit somebody to something that is a Jewish-based belief system... And then number two is, are their children Jewish because they're both women? Okay, so that's, okay, so I guess that sort of goes from the whole, like, you know, Judaism should find its way on the bookshelf of, you know, crystal blue (laughs) metaphysical store in little five points. (laughs) Um, Our our local uh, hangout for uh, Druids and uh, people who are really into Tibetan Buddhism. Britney Spears and Madonna. Britney Spears and Madonna. So so the question of like, you know, that stuff finds its way to the bookshelf and then people pick it up. And so then what is their status of things? So, okay, so technically in Jewish law, if you convert to Judaism, it is as if you have always been a Jew. There is no concept of a convert. You are either Jewish or you are not. Um, The only middle ground is um, this term called ger toshav, which is a resident alien. And there's actually, so it was the idea that, so this is all... In the, in the Bible, in the Hebrew um, texts, that um, you had people who would live in uh, Israelite communities, which, by the way, there is no concept called the Hebrews. They were the Israelites, because um, they the ch- were the children of Jacob, who was Israel. Right. Um, it drives me nuts when people talk about the Hebrews, because <laughs> there is no such thing as the Hebrews. But there is a Jewish visa, based on what you were telling me. <laughs> I mean, basically, you'd have these communities and you would have people who, let's be honest, were indentured servants. You might use the word slave. Um, You had people who 
at one point married in, but mm -hmm. were considered resident aliens, basically. Um, and you had people who were uh, workers, you know, non-Jewish, non-Israelite, I should say, workers. And so there was a category that was created called the Ger Toshav. And so the idea was that if, if these people live in your community, the law basically applies to them as well. So things like uh, Sabbath, Shabbat, they had to take that off. Um, the all of these laws apply to these people. So I sort of am, and there's rabbis who are into this as well, um, that believe that this idea of Toshav should be come the way we think about interfaith marriage, that you may have not converted, but you are a part of this nonetheless, um, and that there is a category for you. Um, there's people who I think kind of join and they never fully convert, but they're around. So I know I've met lots of people who particularly go to reform congregations who, you know, they just kind of showed up one day and it worked for them and they liked it and they thought it was cool and they were going to convert, maybe, maybe not. Um, and they just kind of keep going and converting is just not necessarily on there. You're looking at me with like, I wish I could take a picture of this, like the most the, like stunned eyes of Meredith. Um, uh, yeah, like people just, I didn't even know that that was an option to just show up Yeah, like, yo, I'm checking it out. I Let's tell you, I had, a, I had a guy once ask me if you had to make reservations in order to go to a synagogue. I mean, I'm not going to lie. That's the perception that I've kind of had. Yeah, it's the secret, it's the secret fan club of, uh, of Moses that no one's allowed to come to unless you have the, you know, the, whatever, the decoder ring and the ID and you know, all that stuff. But that's not, I mean, that's not at all how it works. You can just kind of show up, like, you know. Yeah, and there's people who do that. They just show up and, you know, maybe they convert in a couple of years or um, maybe they never do and they're just kind of around and, and whatever. So I kind of put people who are like Madonna and Brittany, and I don't know what their spiritual, <laughs> I don't know what their spiritual status is right now. If they want to find me on Twitter at Atlanta Rabbi, maybe they, their people can message me oh, and let yeah. me know where, where things are at. Um, my wife is chopping Japanese eggplant. That's nice. I just thought I started to keep that. Okay. Well, thank you. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, if, if they're kind of maybe in that category, whatever, they, they never, I don't know if either of them converted to Judaism. I don't, I don't, I don't follow Brittany and Madonna the way I probably am supposed to. I mean, I really shouldn't, but you know, my career dictates, I read a lot of tabloids. Yeah. So, um, are they, are they Jews at this point or is, I mean, Madonna, are they just kind of window Madonna shopping kept, or like kept going with it? Brittany was like, just kidding. I know I got a bunch of Hebrew stuff tattooed on me, but that's cool. Yeah. I mean, but I got to thinking about it and then actually like that's a secondary point to the question, the next question. I have so many questions in this area. Okay, that's fine. Uh, They're all sub questions. I mean, they, they are. Within they totally, one, one general question. Totally are. And you answered that one pretty well, but it led into something else, which is, can I ask this next question? Sure. Yeah, I know it's not my turn. That, that's fine. That's fine. Why do Jewish moms try to seek out other Jews for marriage for their kids? And, like, I totally understand why sons are the ones that everybody's going, gotta find one for, gotta find a Jewish chick, because the lineage carries through the mom, mm -hmm. from what I understand. Yeah. However, like, why does a Jewish mom care that much if it's a lady? Or, wait. Well, you know I mean, mean? Like, you know. You're guaranteed a Jewish kid, whether, I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's because I'm on the outside looking in, and I've been... 
I've dated Jewish dudes, and I've been basically referred to as the dating equivalent of licking bacon. <laughs> so, <laughs> but like, I really... <laughs> I'm sorry. Was that, I hope that wasn't too far. No, that wasn't too far. You know, but like seriously, I've really thought about this one, and I understand why the sons are important, but I don't understand why the daughters are. Well, so the idea is that Judaism is passed on through what's called matrilineal descent. Okay. It wasn't always that way. Really? Uh, yeah, no, it wasn't. Um, a big part of why that change happened was war. So you would have, so think about it in a time where genetics is not something that's not on anyone's radar. We have no concept of how people turn out the way that they do. What we do know, basic anatomy, if two people have sex, we can know who the mother is. Mm -hmm. She's the one with the kid. We can't necessarily know who the father is. So in a time of war, right, in a time of war where, and this is a, a sad fact of, I would say ancient warfare, but the truth of the matter is it still exists. Rape is part of it. And so the idea was, you know, a woman is raped in war. You know, providing her dignity is to say, no, your children are Jews. Don't worry about it. That is an interesting preservation. Talk about a feminist move. Yeah, yeah, totally. The earliest texts in the Bible, a lot of scholars believe, were written by women. So it's the song of Miriam and the song of uh, Devorah, of Deborah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, but that's that's where that thing's come. Now, as far as, like, the Jewish mothers with the sons, they want their sons to marry nice Jewish girls because it keeps that thing going. I mean, yeah. But then Jewish mothers are also just difficult, which is another, <laughs> which is a whole other, like... Like Esther from the Togo Hills Kroger. I like the fact that you were trolled. <laughs> you were trolled in grocery stores by Jewish moms who were like, you know, this one, this one's a, a catch. I've got a son. He's 34. He's never been married. No kids. <laughs> oh, you're not Jewish. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and it's because you were buying what? I was buying a box of matzo ball soup nice and she was like what does your husband eat that from the box you can just make it (laughs) i well i don't have a husband you're not married oh my god i got a son he's a dentist oh yeah no she was amazing i wanted her to be my bff for life but she was not interested upon discovering that i was not jewish don't you have a jewish fashion icon who is your spirit oh animal? my god can we talk about Zipporah if, if you want to yeah we can we can side we can uh we can have a uh, subplot yeah okay dear everyone on this podcast you must look up Zipporah solomon she is the greatest human being i am obsessed with her outfits I think she's like 70, I'm going to like end it at 70, because I know she's a little over that, but it doesn't like matter. Like maybe 90 something, Shh. let's be honest. Support is the most amazing human being. Like her lipstick is on point, she wears these crazy Chinese outfits. No, I live for Zipporah Solomon, and I'm so excited that she accepted my friend uh, request on Facebook, and she comments on my photos. Zipporah, if you ever hear this, like... Love you. Well, you can you can when I post this on Facebook. Oh, I'm totally. You can you can tag her, and then she'll know about it. No, that I'm Zipporah. I am. You are who I want to be when I grow up. Awesome. Um, Yeah. So Jewish moms are difficult, and that's just kind of part of the deal. (laughs) And you know, that's that's all there is to it. I wish there was some deep theological (laughs) answer, but yeah, Jewish moms are difficult. They want their boys to marry Jewish girls. Um, and that's pretty much how that works. Yeah, okay, so that's why they're like, that chick that has the Hebrew fever. No. Yeah. Okay. 
gotcha. the, only, the only thing Jewish moms haven't figured out yet is conversion. Because then they can just open up the pool. Like, you don't have to find a nice Jewish girl if she's nice enough to convert to Judaism. I mean, maybe. Is that why your mom always tried to feed me when we were, like, younger? No, my mom just likes to feed people. Okay. I, I, okay, so, so there's this idea, and it's not practiced anymore, I think, really, that if someone comes to a rabbi and wants to convert, they have to be turned away three times. Oh, yeah. Okay, Sex in the City, That's didn't exactly think about it. That was it's, it's basically <laughs> not true, but whatever. So, anyway, <laughs> so, true, so, but, but here's the deal with my mom, you have to turn her away three times on food. So she'll be like, you'll come over to the house and be like, let me make you something. No, I'm good. Okay. Well, by the way, did you want some? No, I'm good. Okay, well, have a seat. Now, can I get you? No, I'm good. You're and then, and then she's you look done. hungry. Oh, yeah. no, no, no. Now, do you remember how I retaliated? I don't remember, no. I started bringing her food. That's right. Well played. Was, you know what? That is such mental kung fu. That is so... I don't rem- I didn't remember that, but that's... I was like, wait, is that the origin of the brownies? Uh, Yeah. Was was all you were trying to do like Jedi mind tricks on my mother? I did that and I gave her like tofu, chocolate, almond pie. I mean, like, no, yeah. Your mom, she tried to feed me so much. And I was like, dude, I'm fat. I don't need any more food. (laughs) But you know what? Here, if we want to play those games, here, have some fattening food. Nice. Wow. (laughs) Tell me those brownies are. TheBomb.com backslash your mom. Yeah, absolutely. Without question. All right. Yeah. The, it, it Literally, they're the they're the greatest brownies I've ever had, particularly because they didn't come from a box. Yep. Now, now, I have to say that in this household, uh, box brownies, we, we do them well. We do them justice. But your brownies, seriously, Venice at sunset. Like that level Thank of beauty. You. Thank you. That level of beauty. Well, and, and for things. about three years, I think I still had your brownie pan, and then finally, like I cut it back to you. <laughs> no, I don't think it ever made it home, but that's okay. Oh, okay. That's oh, well. okay. It can be oh, part well. of your mom's, you know, cookware these days. Maybe. I don't miss it anymore. I've replaced it. I brought you brownies. You have. It's I true. dusted that recipe off specifically for your wife. I have to say as well that in the top of our cabinets there, we have your Brussels sprout uh, container from the last potluck. Oh, dude, I forgot about that. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Cool. So we got this. Remember to take that. All right. Um, okay, so now I get to ask you a question. Mm-hmm. Um, so so there's... I asked the question earlier about defending Catholicism, so in a sense, pushing against atheism. But here's my the opposite question, which is, do you ever feel like you are pushing up against Catholicism, and do you ever feel like you can't take it anymore? Do I ever feel like I can't take it anymore? No, because I'm a big believer that, you know, God's not going to give me any ideas that I'm like 100% right, nor is he going to give me any ideas that I'm 100% wrong. But the one thing I know for a fact is that humans are fallible. My religion is designed not necessarily by God. It is inspired by God. It is passed down through people who were, you know, basically touched by God, but they're still human beings. So, yeah, there are areas of my faith where, yeah, I reel against it. Uh, Am I allowed to talk about which ones they are? Sure. Okay, I'll go ahead and brand myself as a heretic. Um, People need to get off the birth control issue. You just took away question number four. I just like, want you to know that. They need oh, to well, up so and sad. off of it. I'm sorry. So sad. Okay, yeah. go, go for it. I mean, like, that's I, that's something that I just think, I, I think it's really rooted more in terms of control than it is in terms of faith. Okay. Because 
just basic birth control. That's not a that's not a conception issue. That is literally a prevention of conception. So there, yeah, it's that's control. Do you need some help there? My ah, okay. Oh no, we got it. We're good. We're good. Sorry. I just want to apologize. I want to apologize to all the podcast listeners who were like, "Oh no, the podcast just completely erupted Sorry. in my ear." No, you're good. What are you making, by the way? Garlic eggplant? Yeah. Cool. Is that like a uh, like an uh, Asian dish or yes. is it like a yes, yes. nice? Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I'm so sorry. I, I am so sorry that I screamed on your podcast. That's okay. I'm so sorry. That's okay. I actually got my wife. It's, it's no, 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 no. no, but that's okay. But that's part of the fun of like doing these live these live podcasts. Nothing gets edited. It is what it is. Do you want women to have birth control? Bam. <laughs> God. It's God being like, what? Okay, heretic lady. Or my mother. Yeah, or your mother. Yeah, or your but mother. I, <laughs> but genuinely, like, the birth control thing is a serious, that's a serious sticking point for me. Right. Um, and I kind of stand by the fact that, like, the reason I have a bunch of women tattooed on me is because those were women who took control of their religious life. Mm. They made decisions for their own body. They made decisions for their own spirituality. That's a huge, huge thing. Birth control pills, by the way, mm -hmm. invented by a Catholic. Works for me. (laughs) Is that what we call a dispensation? Yeah, like that's perfect. I mean, some people might call that a sin. I call that an indulgence. Nice. Good job. Well played. Anyway, continue. But yeah, like even even the concept of Mary. So Mary has this virgin birth, but Mary was given a choice. She was asked... Do you want to carry the Christ child? Do you want to be the mother? And it was just more of a request. It wasn't a command. Right. Most people don't recognize that. They mm. don't recognize that she accepted that request. Mm. That's a big thing. So yeah. when I look at birth control, I see it in very much the same way. Okay. Wow. Phew. Let's okay. dig deep. Let's dig deep. Vatican, it- please don't know my name. <laughs> <laughs> Any other uh, things other than birth control that you feel you have to push up against? I mean, yeah, but I have to give total kudos to Pope Francis because he's addressed some of these issues. There was a period of time where I found myself standing up and walking out of mass mm. um, over issues like gay marriage or gays in general, homosexuality right. in general. Right. Um, I found that incredibly offensive, and I found it to be really a, a situation that tore down important pillars of the church it did not mm. show the behavior that i have been taught is christ-like right so in those situations yeah i was absolutely considered an outsider because i was willing to stand up mid homily which is the sermon um and and walk out with my child by the way like i've right i have abandoned ship in the middle of a mass and when i've been called out for it later on i've made no apologies and I refuse to apologize for that. So in that, in those cases, yes. But on the whole, I find the Catholic religion is really inclusive and is really pretty much on par with most of my belief system. Otherwise, I would not be a Catholic. Right. I was born into this, and yes, it feels good to me. It feels like home to me. But if something feels as though it's holding me down and anchoring me, I'm going to cut. I'm not going to stay. Right. Wow. Phew. Sorry. No, <laughs> no, 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 but it's, but it's important because I think that a big part of religious life today, if you are 
you know, either late Gen X or early millennial, which I feel we deserve our own category because if you were born in 1980, you have some qualities that are fundamentally different, I think, than someone who's born in 1990. I agree. And I think it's unfair that it's this lumping together of sort of generation.com. <laughs> because if you... I, I really feel like you should be... The, the dividing line should be, do you remember a time prior to the internet? Like, do you remember calling movie phone? Oh, yeah. Or, like, getting a newspaper so you could know when the movie times were? Um, or, or calling the bank for the time so your parents wouldn't hear the phone ring when call waiting came through for right. your friends in the middle of the night? Yes, I do. Yes. <laughs> like, that should be, technology should be the dividing line. But, um, in any case, I feel like we're in a particular place where those of us who have always had or have adopted religion... We're in this place where it's the cynicism of Generation X mixed with the sort of, like, I don't know what to call it, the egoism, almost, of millennials. Like, we're in that place where, you know, whether it's cynicism or egoism together, don't make well for religious practice. And so you have to push in one direction against the cynicism of, you know, religion is pointless and stupid and you're wasting your time. And then the other side, which is, if religion is not all about me and everything that I want right now, then it's not worth it. Agreed. And, yeah, I don't know. But I gotta give credit to Judaism, is that you, you're, <laughs> I'm, I'm seriously gonna hand it to you, because... This is a religion that embraces everyone. Like, I really, I know there are some people who are probably a little more on the fringe than others, but generally speaking, I've seen such an inclusion of women and of people of different sexual orientation or, I mean, shockingly, even genders. I mean, Sammy Davis Jr. was a Jew. Yeah, but that's true. That's huge. That's huge. That's because you hang out with us, though. I mean, no, okay, but that's because that is no, where I was born. Well, but it's because you're hanging out with people who are progressive Jews. Okay, that's fair. Okay, yeah. that was I'll, Stephanie who just made that totally, yeah. totally handed to that. That's true. You're correct. I mean, I, there's yeah. still a lot of people. I mean, who if are you want so around our neighborhood, oh, you mean like yeah. when I go to work out at um, yeah. the Toco Hills LA Fitness? Go to Lady Express. You know. No, I, I, no, I agree with you. There is, there is, you know. In, in certain areas, just like there is in many religions, but I also see a lot of women rabbis, and in my faith, that's not acceptable. Right, it's not even possible. You know, and right. I stand by the fact that, you know, I consider Mary Magdalene an apostle, therefore she and all women after her would be potential priests. Yeah. That's that's the entire pillar of, of you know, being in the priesthood. So... I'm probably considerably different and more radical than most would consider, but I have heard, you know, undercover whispers when people see my tattoos, especially of Mary. Oh, you know, I agree. I agree. Yeah. She should, you're right. Women should be priests. Right. And you've heard my daughter say it. That was profound when your daughter, well, talk about that. We were having dinner. Mm -hmm. I asked her what she wanted to be when she grew up. And she said she wanted to be a priest. And in the answer in the current situation that she has been given by priests was, well, then you'll be Anglican, which is Episcopal. Right. Okay, so the church is so willing to ostracize a woman who feels a calling to share the word of God in that way that they would rather have her out of the faith right. than to include her. That is a huge statement about you know, where the power lies and how important the, the balance 
really is for them. Right. Whether or not it's something I agree with, which clearly I do not, there's nothing I can do to change it except continue to talk about it. Right. Uh, we're going to actually come back to questions about your daughter. Um, Sorry. No, 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 no. Actually, she she gets brought up in one of my questions. I'm just going to ask a quick side note. So this, uh, this Japanese eggplant situation. <laughs> so we've got some garlic. We've got some red pepper. Uh, red peppers being chopped. What is this like a hot pot type of idea? I mean, I was going to saute it up like garlic. It smells delicious. Okay. I was it just smells curious. so it good. It smells amazing. Do we get rice with it? Um, sure. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah, I'll make some rice. Okay, cool. I was just asking. You can you can make whatever you want. It I just mean, smells. I just, I just thought I'd you know help. Kind of get the ball rolling a yeah, little bit. You know. Okay, that's legit. Oh, I yeah, appreciate I love it. Your wife so much. So we so we trade off on cooking. So usually I'm weekday and she's weekend, and that's only because like I'm home. I work from home and all of that. So it just kind of look at the fairness and equality in this home. <laughs> It's true. It's just me. So she I takes care of the animals. cat stuff. So I mean, it's. I mean, know. it is her cat. It's a, well, that's true. I am in fact. <laughs> I am. I am in fact the stepfather to an angry cat who, in cat years, is older than I am. It's true. It's true. She is. She is an ancient <laughs> kitty. <laughs> All right. So okay. So what have you got on the uh, the Jewish end here? Okay, on the Jewish end, we have. Okay, so one of the weirdest things that I've ever heard, and I've always been like, I want to ask about it, but I'm afraid to. So I heard this one really wonderful Jewish grandmother talking to her like daughter-in-law uh-huh. about how her fingernails could cause a miscarriage, like that everybody had to dispose of their fingernails in some specific manner, but they never told me what it was. Okay, now I'm getting... I have no idea what you're talking about. Okay, well that ends that, because that's apparently, <laughs> that was apparently a spoken issue. Where did you hear this? Uh, Rita Spoken's house. So I'm just going to put that out there. Rita was the coolest lady on the planet, though. I loved going to her house. There was a big, like, cross-knit sign that said Shalom. She loved me. And, and the way that her daughter was daughter... I guess it was her mother. So it was the great-grandmother of this pregnant lady. The great-grandmother of the pregnant lady uh-huh. was saying, you've got to dispose of your fingernails Yeah, it was like some special way. way. She was like, otherwise you'll have a miscarriage. So there's a lot of sort of, I'm going to call it superstitions that are based out of, and I only know it within Eastern European Jewry. Now, I'm sure that in the Mizrahi and the Sephardim and all sorts of other Jewish cultures, there's different sort of superstitions about things. Um, There's ideas like if you accidentally um, unkosher your plates, you can bury them in the backyard, which is not true. Like, that doesn't actually... He's trying to do it to me on multiple times. I have not, mostly because we don't have a backyard. We live in a condo, so that wouldn't work. Out by the pine tree, the the community pine tree. I'm going to put it out on the deck and let the squirrels live on it happily, and then somehow that will make it kosher. Okay, so you can, like, hide your dishes in the dirt. I'm, okay. That's not actually true, but there's this thing that came, I actually don't even know where this came from, that, you know, if if you mess up your plates, so... In traditional Jewish households, you have plates that are for eating meat, base dishes, and then milk. So those are two separate things, right? So there is this custom of if you accidentally, let's say, put a steak on the milk plate, that you can then go and bury it outside, and somehow it becomes kosher. Now, that is not real. That is not an actual thing. (laughs) 
That is not an actual thing. If you want to uh, kosher a a plate, that is not how you do it. You use boiling water and a mikvah and all kinds of other stuff. But in any case, the important thing is there are customs like that that come out of mostly Eastern Europe that I know of that... Who the heck knows what's that? what that's about? Um, and some of the Kabbalah stuff kind of falls under that category, like the red uh, bracelet, the red, yeah. uh, uh, what do you call it, yarn or whatever. Those are super fancy bracelets, by the way. I totally wanted to own one. Yeah? Yeah, those things are awesome. You can. That's the one thing you can pick up at the hippie bookstore. You can probably oh, pick. Oh, sure. It's like, you know, Buddha, Ganesha, a pentagram, and that. Um, so yeah, so that's that's some thing that comes from you know Eastern European most likely tradition. And I actually have a book called Jewish Amulets and what is it? Jewish Amulets and Magic, and it talks about some of these like types of things that came out of pre-medicine, pre-science world. You know, people were trying to figure out how to make things happen and they came up with their own conclusions i bet that's where my next question was gonna like stem from too but it's such a cool tradition that i love watching it happen and i like can identify somebody who's jewish in a bookstore when i see it okay kissing books oh yeah if you drop so it, it came from in synagogues so you're sitting there and you have your siddur which is your prayer book mm-hmm. Uh, same same is true if you drop um, a Tanakh, which is the Hebrew Bible. If you drop it for whatever reason, you pick it up and you kiss it. Um, but those are religious texts. I'm talking like you can drop the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and pick that up and kiss it. I mean, granted, I do. Where are you seeing? That. Where are you seeing this happen? Barnes and Noble. <laughs> Moreland, or like you know, yeah, Edgewood Shopping Center. Look, okay, yeah. so we're clearly talking about like hippie juice, right? Is that what, what you're saying? I, you know what? I've never seen people do it to books that aren't Jewish, but I guess I'm not trolling oh, the man. bookstore for Jewish guys. Apparently. So, <laughs> you caught me. Uh-oh. That's why Esther's out to get you, because oh, she's man. seen you at the bookstore. I her. I didn't even <laughs> care about her son. Uh, but yeah, for real, the, the book kissing, I've seen that several times. And I asked one guy, I was like, what's up with that? And he was like, I'm Jewish. And then he put it back on the shelf and walked away. Okay. So How old was this guy, by the way? I mean, probably like 30. Huh. Uh, you know what? Maybe he just decided to make the practice bigger. I mean, it was literally text. the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, which is the entire reason I needed to talk to him in the first place. <laughs> Maybe he considers that a religious text. Some people do. I mean, I do have the, you know, gold leaf version on my own shelf, so. Well, okay. so there you go. Okay, right? okay. Maybe, I, I don't know. All That's, right. Okay, so... But I like the answer. Okay, so um, these next two questions actually, interestingly, uh, include your daughter. And, okay. And fun things that she has said or, or things that I want to ask you. <laughs> so, okay, so this question is, um, what do you want Catholicism to look like for your daughter? So how old is she? She is seven. Seven. So let's say 27. All right. 20 years from now, what do you want Catholicism to look like for her? And is it attainable? What I want it to look like is one that's all-inclusive, that allows her to 
be a part of the priesthood if that's what she wishes or to join a convent which she already has the option of doing she wants to be a uh, did, did she still want to be a, a Kroger bagging person because that, that was, was pretty fun that, that was pretty good that was yeah, the thing for a while the best one no she like she yeah she went from being a priest to wanting to work at Kroger as the they make bagger. the same amount of money I actually mean, probably so. the Kroger people make more um <laughs> Deep down inside, I would hope that she, like, wants to do something super productive with her life, whether it is, I mean, I don't care if it's bagging groceries or if it is, you know, being a doctor, whatever, whatever floats her boat and makes her happy. Right. But as far as her faith life goes, I, it's not so much of what I wanted to look like as what I wanted to feel like. Okay. Okay. So what I wanted to feel like is that it, it fits her needs that she feels included that she feels wanted that she feels love and she feels stability within inside the religion which mm. it's questionable if that's the way it's going to go or not as of right now you know we have a pope who's really supportive of of women and of you know i don't want to say he's supportive of the gay community but he's at least inclusive and welcoming and loving towards right. them right and Let's be honest, like one of the big things about the priesthood is celibacy, mm -hmm. which a lot of times, and I've heard it from a priest, I'm not even going to name the priest, but for a fact, he's been like, yeah, most priests have struggled with their own sexuality and that's what drives them towards the priesthood is because oh, it forces them into wow. celibacy. Wow. Right. Like that's a biggie. Shh. I know. I know. I'm going in, going in. But what I want it to feel like for everyone is that they belong, that they're needed. Right. Because we really are needed. We are a, a religion that has, right now, we're on, on the line of disintegrating or building. Mm. You know, we have it, it's a tipping point. Right. So for her, I want her to grow up in a faith that still exists, that still serves and really, that's that's it. I mean, I don't I don't care about anything else. Is does she feel needed? Does she feel loved? Mm. That is deep. That that is way better than what the next question will be. I can guarantee you. Right I mean, now. we can go light. It's cool. Sorry. I no, 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 no. It's just it's it's amazing because uh, I'm not a parent. We're not parents, but I go to synagogues or I go to Jewish retreats and I see children mm -hmm. and I think about it. And I've actually, I guess part of why I'm thinking about it is that I'm actually doing a baby naming in a few days. And I'm thinking about what it means to pass on religion. Mm -hmm. And to what degree does passing on religion also include hoping that religion will be good to that child when they're an adult? Yes. You know what I mean? And sort of yes. having that having that um stephanie is making rice yes um having that fear almost oh yeah or that un not fear maybe uncertainty is no enough. fear is an absolutely appropriate word to use in that case because yeah. once you realize that this is going to extend beyond your lifetime that's terrifying it really is because it's the unknown so you're mm. right to use the word fear right oh gosh all right, what you got? This will be, I think, the last question. The last yeah. question. So, okay, we're going to take it back in a direction of, like, totally WTF. All right, so um, <laughs> hair. Let's talk about everyone's hair. I'm a okay. hair stylist, so this is particularly interesting. Actually, and I'm going to give a plug for... I know you're not working for a, a salon right I now. I am still teaching for Aveda. You're, you're teaching for Aveda, but... 
Hashtag Aveda. Hashtag Aveda color. I, so, you know, I, I have to honestly say that your evangelism of Aveda is very, um, uh, very true. And mm. I cannot say, uh, enough about how great Aveda products are. Oh God, they are but they are not sponsoring this. No. Please, Aveda, if you wanted to sponsor this, I will give, I'm putting it out there right now, I will give 100% of the money that Aveda would give to sponsor this to an organization called Charity Water, which builds wells in places where... Uh, they can't get water. So High five, Patrick. I will seriously do that. If somehow this gets to Aveda, because I've got all the money in the world. I'm fine. <laughs> modern, modern, tribe, modern Tribe sponsorship of this podcast is the fact that they're great promoters and they do a really great job in the Jewish community. And that's We don't have a financial sponsorship. I don't do that. So Aveda, if you somehow find this, I will give 100% to Charity Water or I'll challenge you. You give whatever charity water, and I will promote the fact that you did it. So you don't even have to give the money to the podcast. Okay, uh, so just an FYI, Aveda has April, which is Earth Month. All year long, we collect money for the clean water campaign. See? That's, that's what right. I, That's what's One up. One in seven people in this world do not have access to clean water. That's, so that is Aveda's big big charity that's what they're really really fighting for and that is a massive part of our company's ethics and our mission so so perfect a perfect uh um synergy i totally I agree dear aveda please note that i am evangelizing on a jewish podcast <laughs> about aveda i, I mean aveda and, and one of the fastest growing I, religions in the united states i mean i do make people drink the tea and i am the high priestess and i you know in my community and i do perform <laughs> rituals pretty regularly so. uh, can i just say the first time i went to the aveda uh the aveda, the aveda salon and uh, and and i had a student who was like i'm gonna perform some rituals on you i was so weirded out and the thing about it that made it, it great so good she well and this is their school, by the way. This is the, the school. school. Yeah, this yeah. is the school, not a salon. It's the school. So she said, well, okay, so she was very under-enthusiastic because I think she had had a late night. And so she yeah. was like, I'm going to perform some rituals on you. And I was, and she was also totally goth and like... Uh, well, we all are. We, and, are, we but, have to dress in black. But I mean, but no, not oh, no, even she like... Was like no, she was for real like... You I mean, know. she found her. She found her kindred. That's she fine. she did, but All like back. she All was back. she was goth, but not only was she goth, she was like two thousands goth. Whoa. I'm talking about like magenta streak in the hair. Like I'm surprised she didn't have fangs. I mean, go like, hard or go home. I guess, but she was like, <laughs> I'm going to perform some rituals on you, and I was just like, I don't know if I can handle this because I didn't know like what a ritual was. There was no context. Out? I got what was it? I got one of them. Did you get the hand relief? Or the, the hand, hand ritual. The hand ritual okay. was great. That was cool. I actually dug that. Okay, so post podcast, you will totally get a neck and shoulder ritual and a scalp ritual. And you know what, Aveda? You, I hope you promote me because <laughs> I really stand by that stuff. Okay, I, okay. enough about my job. So okay, so Aveda is great. It's my other religion. To, it's your other religion. Um, okay, what were we even talking I about? I don't know how we got to... Oh, yeah, hair. Hair, I yes. want to know about everybody's hair in, in Judaism. I'm fascinated. Okay. Okay, so starting with the Hasidic curls. Okay. Let's go there. 
Okay, so in uh, Yiddish, peyas, peyot. Mm -hmm. So the idea is um, that you cannot round the corners of your beard. And no one ever, like different people interpret this thing differently. So some people say it's okay to shave. Some people say it's not okay to shave. Some people say that you have to grow a beard. Some people say that the corners of your beard are literally the, I guess that's that the temples. Is that okay. what you call that? Uh, the temples are right here. Oh, that's no. Right okay, here. so so whatever is below the temples. <laughs> I don't know what that's called. So basically called. anything the under side your burns. eyeballs. Yeah, the sideburns. <laughs> They're like crazy, the crazy sideburns. So yeah, so they grow those out um, because they interpret it that way. How do they get them so perfectly curled? Are they putting them in rollers? What's... Yeah. Okay, so... It's curlers, have, can, yeah. Are they allowed to use or, wires? Or there are some guys who will just sort of... Um, they have a tick, like a nervous tick, and they'll just like... Just twirl them twirl to death? Their, twirl them to death. So you'll see guys like they're studying in yeshiva in schools, and they'll sit there and they'll have some kind of scary-looking book in front of them, and they'll be really deeply studying, and they do something called shuckling, which is where you basically like are bowing back and forth. I, I don't know how to explain it on a podcast because you have to kind of watch it, but you're basically like bowing your head back and forth, rocking back and forth in your chair. And you'll see them like rocking back and forth in their chair and and twirling their, their pace. You know what awesome band that I bet you will be able to remember who had a guy in it who had the Hasidic Curls? Okay. The hippos. The hippos? The trumpet player for the hippos, which is probably what started the Hebrew fever because he was so hot. <laughs> oh my God. He that he wouldn't like talk to me. The hippos. Oh, oh I like how you're... Yeah, no, the hippos. I am writing this the down. The ska band. Uh-huh. Let's reach back to circa 1998. Oh, um, ska, we miss you so. I actually do, particularly that hippos trumpet player. Um, but yeah, like he was the first one where I was like, what's, what's the deal with that? Cause That's I'd never seen them before. Right. And then after that, like I started really noticing, um, progressively like the giant hats. So we've got the curls, but we right. cover the rest of the head. What's going on there? So the great thing about the bigger, the bigger the hat closer to God, as far as I'm concerned. Oh, so it's just like Southern ladies in their hair. <laughs> Larger the hair, the closer to heaven, like Dolly Parton so, style. Exactly. Gotcha. Um, actually, so it's it's again in Judaism, often custom becomes law. Um, so it's this idea called minhag hamakom, which is the custom of the place. And so, if you go into a Jewish community, you have to adopt the minhagim. You have to adopt the customs. So there are people who didn't grow up with wearing fedoras, let's say. That's one hat style. And they it's black hat is the sort of joking, half-joking term for that. Um, and they'll literally they'll go out and buy the black hat because they're part of that community. Or the strimal is another big one, the big fur, uh, round fur hats. You showed me a picture of that once. Yeah, that's, that is legit. That is crazy. Uh, crazy huge. And I, I don't understand, because I've never worn one, how you can handle having that much weight on your head but whatever um so you so you adopt these customs or you practice them because you grew up with them and that's the custom of your community so but here's what's really interesting about these gigantic hats not only do you have gigantic hats you have yarmulkes on underneath those hats stop it so you're wearing two hats you're wearing two one? hats at once yeah because doesn't it get really hot 
I don't know because I've never done that myself personally. I mean, you should try it just for the sake of being able to experience it. See, I would. But you know what? I, I had this this jerk once who got mad about my... So I got these photos after I graduated from rabbinical school. And this jerk was like, your talit, your prayer shawl, makes you look orthodox. And that's um, false advertising, <laughs> basically, <laughs> was what made him fake. You fake. <laughs> so, so, like, I try not to do stuff like the, like, if I if I had the opportunity to wear a strimal, I'd be worried that someone would take a picture. Seriously? And then post it online, and it would be either, it would be funny to some people, and then other people would be like, how dare you? Oh, wow. I didn't know that it was that serious. That's a big deal. Well, I mean, haters gonna hate, hate, hate. I mean, true. I mean, you know. Like the haterade is real. Drink it. Yeah, I mean, you know. So I try to. I think, particularly for people who followed Punctora years ago, like they knew that I couldn't like wake up without stepping into some kind of controversy. Amen so, to that. I wouldn't so, be following that hard, and I knew what was up. So I try. Like I've, you know, multiple sclerosis chilled me out, and uh, being married and really being into Netflix and the farmer's market and, <laughs> and pour over coffee. Uh, All of those things kind of distracted yeah. me from needing to be a jerk on the internet. Hipster. I, I own it. Salvation. I own it. it I own it. Yeah, and oh, I get the true. I get the drama of my wife's job, so but, I don't have to create drama anymore. <laughs> but we still need to talk about lady hair. Okay, so what have you got for lady okay, hair? Okay, so lady hair is another fascinating situation to me. Only okay. because on the rare occasions that I'm in the same... I'm in the, quote, Jewish gym, according right. to Mr. Moritz. I hope you someday hear this. Um, yeah, where he was like, what are you doing in the Jew gym? Um, and I was like, I wasn't aware that there was a Jew gym. But all these women have their hair covered, and it looks incredibly uncomfortable, in my opinion, the way they have to do it. Stephanie says it is. Okay, so I, I'm... Stephanie is not have her hair covered right now, right. so just putting it out there a bit. But, like, with the... With this I'm an expert on all things. <laughs> Stephanie's an expert on all things. That's true. But, like, that is a real thing, is that we have these... The, I mean, I, I've i never seen a man in a yarmulke or in a giant hat of any kind working out in the gym, but I do see women quite regularly with these massive... I'm getting the glare... These massive, like, <laughs> wraps no, on totally. head. Yeah. And it, as a lady with a bunch of hair, I can think of nothing worse than trying to trap it on the top of my head while doing aerobics. No, totally. So the the hair wrap is tichel, mm -hmm. and so it's just a scarf, basically, wrapped around their head. I mean, we say heads. a scarf, but let me tell you, those things are thick. It's basically a dining table. Yeah. Um, yeah, a cover. Um, yeah, it's huge. and so It's the, like Erica Badu style. Totally. Totally. So that's part of it. And then the other one is wigs. That's the other one wigs. that you see. Yeah, wigs. So, um, Wait, hold on. So we're talking there are ladies that are walking around covering their hair with someone else's hair? Yeah, totally. Is that, that's allowed? That's, that's, How is that not that's showing required. your own hair? That's required. That's <gasps> required in some cases. Stop. So, okay. So the idea with, so with men and head coverings, uh, it became a custom. So it was a debate between, the, the easiest way to say it is there were, different Jewish communities and there was a debate in the Talmud which is a series of really almost like Jewish Facebook posts like it's this series of legal arguments that were codified about whether you're supposed to uh, pray uh, with your head covered or not so there were different communities that had different practices and the idea was that there needed to be one practice that was it was like the agreed upon thing and so covered heads was agreed upon. 
I think part of that, and this is my own personal theory from history, is that Jews have often taken things that were oppressive and turned them into things that were redemptive. So, for a long time in Jewish history, even until the 40s, you had this idea of Jews had to wear special things yeah. to identify that they were Jews. Um, So I think that head covering, actually, there's some history around Jews having to wear special hats. I almost kind of wonder if that's a way of a culture taking something and reversing it. So, like in hip-hop, you have the N-word being used, right? So that was... Lord, let's not compare hair to that. Well, no, but... Seriously, but no. But what I'm saying is, you have something that was a tool of oppression okay. that is like, then co-opted, and I'm going to own it. Gotcha. I'm going to turn it into my own thing. Okay. So I think, in a certain way, with men and the head coverings, there's a little bit of history to that. Now, with women, it's different. So the idea was that it was modesty. So there's uh, in the Bible, in the Hebrew Bible, there is um, a story of a ritual called Sotah. And it was the idea that you had a woman who was accused of um, adultery. And so there was this ritual, sota, uh, which comes from the word to drink. And it was this practice of you would go into um, a sacred space with a priest, and the priest would perform this ritual where she would drink this bitter, gross water. And if she survived, basically, if if her body didn't distend, it meant she didn't cheat. Um, now, part of this ritual included this this weird line where it says that the priest would uncover her hair and would basically ruffle it. So, out of that came this tradition that, okay, it must be Minhag uh, Derek uh, Eretz, meaning it is the custom of the land, the land of Israel, that women must cover their hair. Um, and so really out of that is where you get that. Now, there's way more to it sort of in Jewish law about it. What is this and what is that? Um, the idea of wigs came up. Some communities will do wigs. Some don't. Uh, this goes back to that idea of minhag hamakom, the idea that different communities have their customs, and that if you want to be part of that community, you follow that practice. Um, there's actually some interesting debates about the wigs because, and, and I, don't, I don't know if this is something that you're familiar with, that a lot of wig hair comes from women in India. Yes, and it is a sacrifice. Exactly. So it's this sacrifice, and then it's sold somehow yeah. to people who make these wigs. So the question comes, like, if you buy human hair wigs from hair from India that maybe were in a temple of some kind or some mm-hmm. sort of ritual, is that... Uh, uh, Avodah Zara, which means um, basically foreign or incorrect worship. Um, I mean, that's a legit question. Yeah. I mean, ask any African-American woman this question, and they're going to be like, yeah, like, certain hair holds more value than others, but the Indian hair in particular is that's very sacred. I mean, not to necessarily to them, but that's a huge thing, because these women, like, literally shave their heads. Right, right. Yeah, it's and so that's that's a thing. You'll even see in some cases a woman who's wearing a wig and is wearing a hat on top of it. Wow. Yeah, so that particular custom is very meaningful to some people. It's been fascinating. Yeah. All right, I get the last question. You do it. Okay. Your daughter said something really funny about Jesus once. Oh, I know where this is going. All so, right, go for it. Is Jesus a zombie? <laughs> and tell the tell the story. 
as people listen to the sautéing in the background. Okay, so um, in the Catholic Church, every Sunday we have communion. It is where we take on the Eucharist, which is the body of Christ, the body and blood of Christ. And um, we believe in this concept called transubstantiation, where the bread and the wine become literally flesh and blood, which sounds horribly disgusting to anybody who is not a member of the faith. Um, and from the outside, I totally get it. Well, when you have Jesus, who is crucified uh, on this giant cross hanging above the altar, and you go up to take this um, Eucharist, he does look pretty dead, not going to lie. Like, his eyes are rolled up, and he's looking to heaven. Usually he's bloody and wearing this crown of thorns, and it just, it looks really, it's a little grotesque. So my daughter is looking at him, thinking that he is a zombie, and uh, understanding just the very, very, very basis of transubstantiation, not totally understanding what it is or how it works, she was convinced that anybody who took the Eucharist, took the host, the, the bread, was eating the flesh of Jesus, therefore that makes them a zombie, and she was afraid that I would eat her in her sleep. <laughs> that I would become a zombie and suddenly become cannibalistic, and that I would eat her. So the, the terror that ensued as I moved forward towards the host, um, it, was, it was really serious. Uh, so I know that's the story. That's the basic story. She also quoted what we refer to as the Nicene Creed, where part of it is that Jesus will come back and judge the living and the dead. And she interpreted that as Jesus will come back to judge and lead the living and the dead. So there was a lot of zombies. As the living being, dead. Yeah, as the, the living, living dead. dead. Yeah, like this is, <laughs> he's coming back to judge the living dead. Uh, and that, yeah, there was a lot, there's a lot involved in that one that was pretty funny. But <laughs> yeah, so that's the basis of the story. My daughter cried and was horrified. She screamed. She like didn't want to go to bed that night. I didn't even get to take the Eucharist. I didn't even get to communion. The priest just made the you know sign of the cross at me and told me to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, you'll get a do over yeah, next yeah. week. She was you know. four. She was four. Um, but we do live in Atlanta, where The Walking Dead is filmed. So before anybody makes any major judgments about me as a parent having a four-year-old who understands what a zombie is, just you know our area is is you know fraught with them. Okay. <laughs> zombies. Zombie references. People who dress up as zombies no, for no it, reason. Sometimes it is. I mean, sometimes really, actual true, zombies. True story. No, Miami's where the actual zombies are. Just remember that guy that ate all those bath salts or uh, bath, yeah, whatever that drug yeah. was. Yeah. Um, okay, so on your question yeah. to the story, now I've given the story. The question yeah. specifically Is Jesus a zombie? Jesus is not a zombie. Good to know. <laughs> Jesus did, uh, yeah, that also plays into it. I guess that's the part I didn't mention. The concept of the resurrection, where after three days of being dead, he just suddenly is gone. My daughter assumed that it meant that he reanimated and just left the tomb. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Not that he ascended into heaven as you know Catholics believe. <laughs> I like how you know this is definitely probably the funniest part of this in my entire life as a parent. This is the moment in time where most people would be like, "Wow, that parent failed." <laughs> but yeah, my my that was a big thing. Jesus is not a zombie, but he did, according to our belief system. 
he was crucified by the Romans. I just want to put that out there on behalf of all Catholics. We know exactly who was responsible. The Romans. <laughs> he was crucified, and then he, you know, was laid into a tomb by Mary and Mary. Um, and they were the ones who discovered Mary Magdalene was specifically the one who went to find him to discover that he was missing from the tomb and that the, you know, he had resurrected. He came to her in an apparition. Um, so that's that's that. I mean, there's a, there were several people who saw him as an apparition after death, but specifically that Including one. Native Americans. If you I go mean, we're going to go, go real, real deep. deep. <laughs> Jesus likes to visit. He likes to travel. <laughs> He's into checking He's, out the world that he gave. Airbnb. I mean, let's be real. If I gave up my life and had to die like that just for the sake of humanity's salvation, I'd be down to see what was up with the rest of humanity, too. <laughs> let's just go... Let's go look around. What's happening in Antarctica? How's it going, polar bears? <laughs> you know, I, so yeah, but Jesus is not a zombie, but the resurrection being a part of our faith and being the part of the faith of any Christian, really. I mean, there's not a denomination that does not believe, that I know of anyway, as far right. as Christian religion, um, that he did not resurrect. Right. And that's really the part of the miracle outside of the virgin birth. That's really the sticking point of the, the miracle that most people buy into. Right. You know, um, it's it's sad that I discuss it. Like, you're buying into something. Like, this is a Ponzi scheme. <laughs> but, you know, that really is. That's, that's, that's the part. That's the part. He died for me specifically. And as I am a sinner... Um, <laughs> a lot. <laughs> I, you know, also, so is the Pope. Just so you know, when the Pope was asked, who is Jorge Bergoglio? He, the first thing he said was, I am a sinner. So I'm in good company. Nice. Yeah. So that's, you know, Jesus and the zombie. In nice. story. In story. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you for clarifying for me and your daughter. Oh, yeah. That's that, uh, that Jesus was not a zombie. Yeah, so. seeing as she's about to walk into her first communion, I'm hoping that she's given up the zombie thing because she's about to take... The Eucharist for the first time. Awesome. Big deal. Awesome. Big deal. Yeah. Nice. Thank you so much. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll leave it at that. I want to thank Modern Tribe for their sponsorship of this podcast. I want to thank my wife for being in the studio audience and uh, making eggplant. And I want to thank you, Meredith, for being here and for doing this awesome podcast. So. Thanks for having me. This has been a blast. Let's do it again. You can check out this and other episodes on iTunes. You can also subscribe if you go on rabbipatrick.com. There is a little thing that you can sign up and you can get updates about not only podcasts, but other things that are going on. You're probably only going to get an email once every two or three weeks um, because I got other things going on. So if, I promise I won't spam you or anything like that, but you can go on rabbipatrick.com and find out all about that. So thank you very much for listening and look forward to episode three where I get back into conversion stuff.